0: Hi there, Selina Kulkani here with another episode of the Alternative Investing Podcast. My mission is to help business owners build high performance wealth that delivers reliable, predictable cash flow through unconventional strategies so they can fast track their path to financial freedom. Each week I share with you the strategies, expert interviews and real people's stories around the topic of wealth and financial freedom. And if you're a business owner who wants to learn more about financial freedom through alternative methods please head over to my website freedomwarrior.com.au where you can access my library of articles, interviews and programs to help you on your way to becoming more financially free. Hey guys, so I wanted to share with you a podcast that I recorded with a friend of mine, Tyrone Shum. Some of you should be familiar with him now. He runs his own very popular podcast on property investing in the Australian market. One of the things that happened recently was he came along to one of our mastermind events. And one of the things that we do at our event is we play this really cool game called Million Dollar Mixing Desk. And in this interview, he really wanted to just unpack the how and the, the why and what this game means and why it's so significant if you're really uh, striving to be a professional investor. So I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome back, Selena.
0: Thanks, Tyrone. Awesome to be here.
1: Likewise. Well, on the weekend, I was very fortunate and thank you so much for inviting me as a guest to your your Worry Forum intensive and there was an amazing game that you played there that day and I just could not get it out of my head. I was like thinking, wow, <laughs> I wish this kind of stuff was played more often because it was a huge, huge learning curve for me, not just to learn the game. Um, learning game was pretty easy but the actual idea and the concept behind it was actually modeled off a real case or real scenario of people that you've you know worked with and so forth. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to share it as a podcast but also too as a learning for a lot of investors out there because I think for me, it really impacted me on how I would think about approaching investing because there's so many different ways you can do it. But having a real scenario and then applying the scenarios that we were given really, really made this game really fun because it wasn't just a simple, yep, you know, we'll do the calculations and that's it. It was actually real case scenarios that we were throwing in different situations from being divorced to being <laughs> having a, a pandemic to all sorts of things. So rather than me sort of explain what it was about, you're the one who created this game. I'd love to hear more about and maybe share that with our listeners.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, full disclosure, um, it was a game that I created for my Mastermind events That was actually a filler. I had this idea that when people come back from lunch, they're a bit, you know, sleepy and tired and I wanted to kind of create something that would be engaging. This started out as an idea of how do I just bring people's energy up after lunch? And the first time we played the first reiteration of this game, people got so fired up and worked up about their worldview of what was the right way to invest that I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And so then over the last three years, I've progressively upgraded the game and made the deals more complex and um, the simplicity of the game hasn't really changed well, the or con- the overarching concept. But um, as the world works, people just started to, to cheat where I hadn't um, expressly laid out rules and so I was trying to plug, plug those holes and... Um, yeah, the, the game is uh, has evolved into, you know, we call it million dollar mixing desk game. The crux of it is how do you bring a level of realism to investing and and start to understand how the play of strategy can massively influence outcome? The theory of investing is all great, but this game is really designed to make people think rather than invest on autopilot
1: yeah absolutely i think as an investor myself i kind of went into that mode until i started game. i was thinking hold on (laughs) you know you kind of have all these ideas and you know if you've got a plan there's a plan but sometimes life changes and you've got to adapt different strategies and that's what i love about this particular game especially when you told me how the first time was a filler (laughs) for a million (laughs) dollars i actually wouldn't mind you sharing how that one works because it's obviously changed and evolved from where it started and um yeah, you you mentioned that you guys just put up a, a thing for a million dollars and then they went at it. So how, how did that evolve? or how, how?
0: Yeah, so look, one of the things I, I, I strongly believe is that there is no right or wrong when it comes to investing. I, I just think if you make a decision, everybody does it with the best information that they have at the time or preferences or who they've been exposed to or how they learn. So the idea was I wrote up six deals on a whiteboard three of them were local deals and three of them were international. And I said, right, you've got a million dollars, go, what are you going to do? And people just squirreled away and wrote down what they wrote down. And then everyone at the table had to share what, what they did. And we were a small, smaller group back then. I couldn't get over how passionate and worked up people, I mean, I thought it would be everyone roughly coming up with the same combination of deals. And uh everyone was so different. The way they thought, the way they spent the money, the outcomes they thought they'd get. And the way that we've always played the game is, you know, it's over a a relatively short space of time. So a five-year block. And then, you know, from there it evolved to, well, okay, I'll put up more deals. And then it evolved into, okay, now I'm going to layer that with you know some economic turbulence and then I'm going to layer that with some personal circumstance cards and you know so it's it's evolved into a card game which is not particularly complex but the thing that's probably been the biggest jump in evolution is that instead of investing for yourself now I get people to invest on behalf of a real life case study.
1: That's great. And and that was what really, really made it very, very interesting because you're not just only looking at it from yourself, but you're also looking at it from a real person who's actually going through a situation. And 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 this case study or this real person, this scenario that we ran over the weekend, which would be sharing in this podcast, was really, really interesting. And it was to me, I looked and I went, hold on, this is pretty real. You know, there's there's not much that's so different to most average Australians out there that are actually doing this, but they want to actually get out of what I guess you know rich Dad dad is out of the rat race and that's what really really fascinated me and what was really even better was we didn't do it ourselves because you know we teamed up in groups and because a lot of these people who i I'd, I'd never met um, had different personalities different investing backgrounds and so forth, it made the whole thing a really, really fun and interesting time. And and I really, really enjoy it, especially one of the team members I had was, I don't know how I put it, but he was a real, real big character. So yeah. it made the whole thing fun.
0: Yeah, look, um, the last time I ran a live mastermind, and I'm hoping to get back to those later this year, but Feb last year, just before COVID hit, we had a live mastermind and I'd actually gone to the trouble of putting all the deal cards on beautiful cards and um, each team, I put people in teams of three, had a, a deck of like a deck of deals and people got so excited and worked up about it that, you know, there were people flinging off their shoes and spreading their cards out on the ground and people arguing. And it was just awesome. It was it was a really it's a very engaging game now. And, um, you know, now because, it, you know, I'm trying to make it more thinking and reflection and um, less rote application of what you already know. So when you're not investing for yourself, you've actually got to take into consideration other people's risk profiles and perspectives. So yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. And working in teams, I think, gives you that exposure to how do other people think about money? How do other people think about investing? So yeah, it's a super fun game.
1: Absolutely. So let's delve into this scenario that we had. And the reason why I wanted to share this one was because I thought it'd be so, so relevant for listeners out there to hear, you know, something like this and then we work through it talking about it because there's so many ways you could actually help this couple that we're going to be talking about but also too, it just opens up the the opportunity to see, okay, as we've been talking about alternative investings, how can we actually lay that into this kind of strategy that they're looking for? So maybe I'll pass it over back to you, Selena, on terms of actually explaining this particular couple and, and the, I guess, the scenario behind it.
0: Yeah, so um, this particular couple are based on a real-life couple. In the game, I called them Sergio and Lumi, Um, and I started by saying, look, the goal is to get them safely and quickly to the position where they hit their financial goals, which I called game over. Um, And I said that basically after COVID, after the shock, they're they're super worn out. They had a consulting business that they'd had to shut down for three months, and they're now back up to 70% capacity They've done a little bit of investing. Um, they had a small portfolio of property, but they're ready to get serious. They've come to you for guidance on how to get to their goals. and they need two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year before tax to support their lifestyle, excluding the property costs. And you know I, I kind of out, outlined their borrowing capacity, their savings ability, their earnings at the moment. And then I put a a bit of a limitation in here. I said they like alternative investments, but they don't want more than 50% of their portfolio in that market. The commercial property that they own has a single tenant, but their lease expires in 14 months and they're not going to renew. I talked about how in real terms, any sale would take 12 months to finalise. Any residential sales would take six months to finalise. And I gave a theoretical business value of 750, but that it was a difficult business to sell. So they don't want to rely on that. And then I I gave a a list of the five properties that they hold. And the instruction was, how do you get them, given all of the deal flow that we've kind of, we had set up, how do you get them to that passive income of 250 in five years And the way the game is played is round by round. So when you first go into the game, it's like you see all these deals and you've actually got to decide what am I going to do first? And so you only fill out what you can complete in year one. And the interesting thing about this case study, because this is probably a bit more realistic, is that these guys had uh, four investment properties and their home, but they didn't have a huge amount of cash. You know, they had some money in the bank, but most of their wealth was tied up in the properties that they had. And you can see when you start to look at these properties that some are doing well, some are not doing so well. You can, you know, for me anyway, and this is probably my training as an accountant, I find that people can tell me their situation but then, when you see the numbers, it just paints such a, a different picture and, and gives such depth to someone's situation. So, you know, when I look at what these guys have achieved and the years, I mean, I, you know, I even told you how many years they'd held each property. You can start to see that they've been investing for about 15 years. You know, they've created a, a portfolio worth 33.7 30, mil and the net cash flow was about minus 8,000 in total. But you start to see, well, look at those properties, what's working, what's not. So yeah, that's the overview of who they are.
1: It was fantastic to be able to see that. And and that's the interesting thing. Um, I don't have the, the sheet in front of me at the moment because I can't remember the exact properties, but straight away when we received that within our team, we looked at the ones that we thought, could we which ones could we potentially sell down first that were generating negative cash flow? Because we kept wondering, you know, why why should we keep this if we're trying to achieve a positive outcome to try and get $250,000 per year? It's going to really hinder us to have negative cash flow of $8,000 per year. Even though it doesn't sound like a huge amount on, on a portfolio that size, it can also hinder what you can potentially invest into, which is why it, it slowed, you know, potentially them to do anything else. And that, that was what was really, really interesting because some people hold on to a portfolio because thinking there's still a lot of equity in there, which I think this couple had like somewhere close to three mil yeah, of equity. Yeah, Is that correct?
0: Yeah, including their yeah. Own. That was that,
1: that was a substantial amount of equity, and we thought, how can we free that up to use at least to invest 50, up to fifty percent of their total portfolio into potentially other investments which would generate them a, a positive cash flow, and in a very short space of time. We all agreed and, and this was the team effort. We, it was all the team effort that we had to agree, okay, what should we firstly sell off down or sell down or should we go back to the bank to try and refinance and try and get the equity out as quick as possible? And I think we all agreed that the first thing we do is just sell down the one that was generating a, a huge negative cash flow that what's 30-something yeah, thousand or 40,000
0: a year. Yeah, good memory.
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm basing these on just what I remember for what we did but that, that really stuck in my mind and that change Makes you think in your own situation, if you have negative cash flow properties, unless there's a reason why you need to hold on to these, it actually might be a smarter option to actually sell it down if it's not positive cash flow because ultimately, you think to yourself, why are we actually holding all these properties? You know, are we trying to hold these properties just to accumulate a huge amount of wealth? But once you've got that kind of wealth and that capital, I guess really at the end of the day for me anyway, I'm looking for passive income. I want income that can actually sustain my lifestyle. It's pointless if, if it keeps sucking money back out of my own lifestyle to be able to maintain it. And that, that's the, that was a big mind shift for me and I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners probably feel the same way too. So it makes you reflect and think, okay, what can we do differently and change this strategy around and start formulating something different for the next five years?
0: I'll tell you what was what was fantastic about this game for me. Every team there's probably about five or six different approaches that people took, and everyone was passionate that their way was the right way. No two teams did the same approach, and um, you, you probably should mention that you were on the winning team. Um, <laughs> so, look, I, I think what's what's fascinating is that different people will apply different tactics. The fact that they're investing for somebody else makes it more real because you do have to be responsible but yeah look I I think there was all sorts of random things I think there was one of the deals was a renovation deal and um, I think one of the teams was talking about well let's do five of those a quarter and you and I were kind of having a chuckle about geez like how hard would it be to find profitable reno deals five of them every quarter let alone get the borrowings. I think more people are attached to reality than others, but (laughs) it's a a fun way of kind of looking at what are all the possible ways to skin the cat.
1: Absolutely. And what was also fascinating as well too is we don't all consider and think about this, and because I was very lucky I had an accountant in my group, he thought about the tax implications straight away. (laughs) Everyone completely ignore that part, of, part side of things and straight away it was like no everyone's out of the game because you forgot to pay your GST your, your, your CGT. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that was his argument. you're all in jail so we win. but um, no you guys actually won hands down anyway. but I think the thing to I think you've hit on a really good point. I think traditional wisdom says accumulate properties forever and never sell. And I think that worldview probably held merit up until maybe, like I started to question it about 12 years ago because I could see that if I just held on and waited for properties to go up enough in value and for the rents to go up in value, I was was still 25 years away from generating what I call meaningful income from it. So I started to really question that view. And so I think it's, it's always... A good idea to be at least every 12 months looking at what have I got is it giving me what I want is are we moving in the right direction
1: yeah it, it and that's the the conversations we've had already offline about a lot of this and this is why I love bringing you onto the podcast to share this because it makes you start to think is it possible to do a different way and and as we said there are so many different ways to skin a cat but we don't actually realize that if we don't hear about it or talk to someone else about it that might be thinking differently. And this is what I love about your contrarian view. You actually will still continue to go down that same path of, you know, looking just to buy a property. Because in the back of my mind, I'm the same. I thought, oh, let's just go and buy, say, 10 properties over 10 years and hopefully generate a revenue of, say, you know, 100K a year. But that that theory, that thought, and I'm, I'm being really, really um, contrarian here. And Plus, on top of that, I'm, I'm talking from personal experience. It doesn't. It's not going to work, you know, unfortunately, in the markets that we're currently in at this point in time. Um, interest rates are completely different to how it was back 10, 20 years ago. You know, we're, we're at the cheapest rate at the moment, you know, under 2%. And there are so many opportunities out there that can give you a higher return compared to, say, you know, buying property that might generate a 5 or 6 even maybe sometimes 7% yield. And that's not even considering all the expenses that you still need to pay as well, too. After that, it's hardly anything that's left. And then you're hoping and praying that you might get capital growth on these. And, you know, you do at times, but you don't know how long that's going to be. Whereas both Selena and myself, we've been looking at different alternative investments. And this is what I love about the game because you laid out for us many different options of alternate strategies. You know, the funny thing is that a lot of the alternate strategies that were available or the the alternative um, investments were mostly either overseas, you know, in a really good capital growth well not capital growth but um, uh, great interest returns with um, compound compared to say for example in Australia where we had um, fantastic deals still but the return the rate of return was very very low and it's realistic you know here unless you're actually adding value some, through some kind of development or you know forcing appreciation on a lot of the properties you probably will be sitting on something for you know next 10 years or so until it generates great capital growth and that kind of opened up the strategies and, and thinking that we should probably change and put things into alternative strategies, which, you know, in my opinion, I've been doing the same thing as well as rather than put all my equity into buying another property, which I was planning to do next, I start looking at alternative strategies where I'm getting between say 20 to 30% return per annum. And that has been very, very successful because I'm able to compound it much faster, which allows me to be able to move on to buy other investments as well.
0: There's so much gold in what you just said, Tyrone. But I think um, one of the challenges, which I think we talked about in, in another podcast was, I think the challenge for new investors is actually cutting through all the noise out there around what is the right way to build wealth. And, you know, I think if you're new to investing, one of the best things you can do is speak to as many people who have the results that you want, and ask them how they got there. You know, also consider that, you know, the, the market's are evolving. And, you know, 30 years ago in Australia, you know, it was green fields, like you could pretty much find opportunity everywhere. But these days, everyone's interested in being an investor. So it's harder to find the deals where you create the alpha being like the, the higher than average returns. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is part of the reason that I started to look at other markets for the alternative stuff is not that the deal; those strategies don't exist in Australia because they do, but they're just so hard to come by. Like you've stumbled a- across a, a really great strategy in the alternative space, which offers killer returns, and that's kind of not the norm. That's exceptional, but
1: it's exceptional. Yeah, yeah.
0: In, in the in the states, for example, where the market is significantly more flexible and creative than ours. It sounds scarier, but in actual fact, the risk on a lot of these strategies is actually very low. What I like about the states is that the deal flow for these kinds of alternative strategies is significantly more plentiful. And because such a tiny fraction of their population are investors, the ease of finding deal flow where you can create that alpha is significantly easier. It's higher, much higher.
1: Mm. I just we wouldn't mind having a discussion a little bit about the, I guess, investing into, say, for example, the US market, which you've been doing as well quite successfully. And a lot of the deals that we saw inside the game that we we're playing, we, we all mostly went for those kind of deals because they all were turning a higher return and, and for good reason. And that's how it helped us get out of the actual rat race and achieve you know a passive income 250. We actually exceeded that one i do remember one other team did exceed it quite substantially as well too um doing some kind of renovation strategy right (laughs) yeah
0: questionable yeah
1: questionable but no it's all all fair you know for what we all all achieved and based on the assumptions that we have based on what the market was doing the economy and so forth it, it wasn't really that hard like to be honest it was just a little bit of teamwork together, putting our minds together. You know, luckily I did have an accountant who was very good at numbers but we we factored in if the market went down which it did, you know, by 2%, our, our interest rates dropped there for 2% and we, you know, got less income. But then because it was a five-year term, we factored that in and we made sure that in say by the second year of, of um, yeah, that the final uh, third of the fourth, sorry, the fourth and the fifth year of our term, we actually compounded that and started paying down our investments which increased our cash flow and that also was a big, big takeaway for me because I kept thinking, you know, let's just keep building keep building the capital but then he said, look, why don't we just pay down some of the debt which will initially, you know, increase our cash flow and when that happened, it made me realize, oh yeah, you know, we're using alternative investments to start to build or pay down our portfolio, which would generate additional cash. So it makes you start to think outside of the square and outside the circle. But until you actually see it on paper and you actually discuss it with someone else, it doesn't become very clear. And that's where I kind of got stuck in, along my property journey at this point in time, going, wow, you know, it's actually possible to do it that way. So that's that's been some amazing insights into what what I learned just playing that game. And it was only within so what, a couple of hours, <laughs>
0: It's funny I've um you know I've been a, a in the space of advisory and strategy around property for a long time now and you know when you're looking at just local real estate you have to play the long game there's no question and most people understand that unless they're going to get into some hair raising type strategies or developments or renos or things like that your traditional buy and hold is a is a long play and so when i used to try and project for people you know, where will you be in 10, 20, 30 years if you stick to this course of action? That's a really, you know, that's a long way. I mean, it almost feels like another life. That's a long time to wait to get to where you want to go. Whereas since my pathway deviated into incorporating a small component of alternative, what blows me away and it continues to blow me away is that you can actually get a super meaningful result in less than five years, you know, depending on how much headspace you give this, you you get a great result in two years, in three years. And, you know, the sorts of returns, they're not probably the 20 to 30% that you're used to, Tyrone, but they're, you know, if you can earn a net return of 8 to 12% conservatively all day long in a consistent, reliable way, that is life-changing for people. That is what will give you the freedom to make decisions about how you spend your time and you know, what you do with your life versus carrying, you know, a huge property portfolio that's just a drag. You have to carry it for a while and, and you hope that in 30 years it'll cut it'll carry you. It's it's tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And that's why I I, I totally agree with you. Even if you just compound it or just receive residual income of, say 10% on average every year. You know, say on a $1 million or $2 million portfolio, it's all been paid down. That's still, you know, the average, say, income that people want to expect when they're reached to retirement of 100 k to 150 a year. It's, it's more than enough. And, and because you don't have to work for it, it gives you so much freedom to think about other things. And that gives you one more time to be able to put more of the investments away. You might take a small proportion of that 100 k and put it back into more investments and allow that to compound. And you know, that in turn will give you so much freedom and flexibility just to think about the things that you really, really want to do that can potentially be more impactful for not only your family, but for other things that you want to do. You know, you might have dreams to do great work around the world, you know, go out and, and save the world or you know, give back and so forth. So whatever it is that you want to achieve, that's I guess the freedom that you need to consider to be able to allow you to time to that. Because as you know, all of us, majority of us, I guess, are still in the workforce. Working every day to try and keep these assets, you know, upkept in order to survive.
0: Just to um, round out the the whole game thing, the reason I called it the million dollar mixing desk game is because I really wanted people to understand that, you know, if you think about a music mix- mixing desk and all the little buttons that you can use to adjust the the quality of the sound, I think we need to bring that same metaphor to our investing. You know, there's so many little levers that we can pull and adjust that we don't have to be singular in our approach to investing. We can really bring depth to it if we understand that there's lots of levers that we can pull. And so the game takes the theory away and makes it super practical.
1: <laughs> it's a fantastic game. And, uh, yeah, for anyone who can or wants to, um, yeah, definitely join up with Selena's uh, Mastermind Group and, yeah, you definitely get the opportunity to play. So it's it's fantastic. So, yeah, Selena, thank you so much for sharing that. It's been a pleasure to be able to share that great case study, and I'm really, really looking forward to the future ones that we get involved in.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Tyrone. Thanks so much for listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're a business owner feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head over to freedomwarrior.com.au to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. Till next time, take care. See you on the next episode and bye for now.